Good morning, everyone. Um, so lovely to see so many of you. Um, and a big welcome to those of you who are joining us on our live stream, too. So as Pastor Nick said, we're on part two um, of this series. Um, last week, I shared with you a book that I have found particularly helpful in my journey of stewardship called The Blessed Life by Pastor Robert Morris. We still have uh, copies available downstairs if you would like to get one of those. Um, so last week, my focus was on laying a foundation for this series, and I talked about the principle of the first and how we bring the first of what we have unto God. My hope in this series is that you will hear things through these messages that will help you to navigate this journey, that maybe there are stereotypes and preconceived ideas about why we talk about money in church or why we shouldn't maybe talk about money in church. My heart is that you just get the word of God. What you are going to see today is that I have got scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. It is not my words, but it is the word of God, and I know how much freedom it brings to our lives. And so my hope is that you will understand God's heart, that you will be able to take these things, and no matter what your journey has looked like, I don't want you to feel condemned. I don't want you to feel like you need to carry shame about what it has been, but know that God is fighting for you. God is on your side and gives you everything that you need to make this part of your life healthy and prosperous and fruitful in him. So I want to start by reading from Luke chapter 16, verse 9 to 13. I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can follow along with me today through version. If you go to the events section, find Birmingham City Church. It's usually right at the top there. Click on there and you'll see the notes that you can add to. You can save them for future reference also. So a few times in those verses, we hear the word mammon. What is mammon? The word mammon itself means riches. And in some of our Bible translations, you will see um, you cannot serve God and money. And whilst that is true, it is accurate. The word money does not portray the severity of what mammon actually represents, which is what I want to unpack for you this morning. Mammon was a Syrian god of riches. It represented wealth. It represented materialism, consumerism, greed, selfishness, all of those things that are the opposite to what we know God is. Mammon is a spirit that rests upon money, and this is why it is so crucial 
that as I shared last week, that first portion, that tithe is presented back to God because we want God's spirit to rest on what we have, not the spirit of mammon. Because mammon is a god, little g, it's fighting for attention. It wants to be served by people. It tries to be a substitute for God, and it tries to replace him. It's looking for worship. Mammon promises so many things. It promises us security and significance, freedom, identity, power, just to name a few. And it delivers none of them. Because the reality is only God can supply those things. When we trust in those things being found outside of God, we're in a perpetual state of discontent because they never actually get met. Mammon tells us that money will solve all of your problems because if we had a better job, we'd have a better pay packet. We'd be able to solve our financial problems. I'd be able to pay down this debt. I'd be able to afford a mortgage on a bigger property. I'd be able to increase my lifestyle. I'd be able to do so many things if only I had more money. It brings happiness. It fills a void. But God says no to all of those things. Money is not the answer to any of our problems. Money will never bring us enduring happiness and fulfillment, and it will never fill a void. Mammon will tell us to buy and sell, cheat and steal, and God says, how about we sow and reap and give and receive? They are completely polar opposites to each other. The spirit of mammon is referred to, obviously, in biblical times, and we can be almost forgiven for expecting that to be something that was done and dusted and is not around anymore. But mammon, the spirit of mammon, is alive and well and thriving in our society and world today. And even beyond today, Scripture tells us in the book of Revelation that the Antichrist is going to dominate people through the fear of not being able to buy and sell. That the economy plays a huge part in the way that the Antichrist will manipulate people. That if you want to be able to continue to do those things, you will have to be submitted to the Antichrist. So we can see that, yes, mammon was an issue thousands of years ago. Mammon is an issue today, and it will continue to be an ongoing issue until the end of time. So let's have a look at how mammon influences us, how we can spot it at work. Well, I can say that looking back over, you know, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, if I look at my childhood to what my kids have now, just how different a world we live in. I was 30 years old before I had a mobile phone, and then it was considered a luxury. And now our little children consider it an absolute necessity. How times have changed. There is so much more focus on what is around us, making our lives easier, attaining more, pushing, striving. We're bombarded, aren't we, by adverts, whether that is on the TV, whether it's in a newspaper, whether it's on a billboard, whether it's on the radio, whether it's word of mouth or social media. You cannot escape 
an advert. And adverts have one thing in common. They are selling you an image of what life could be if you placed your trust in these things. These adverts are locking into a sense of dissatisfaction with your life. Don't be content with what you have because you could have all of these things. They will help you. They will make you a better person. They will make you more popular with people. It's an aggressive message that we continually get day in, day out. I've noticed what I class as a spirit of entitlement just increasing and increasing and becoming more normal, whereby there's this disconnect between something that I may want now and what it will cost me to obtain that item. Whenever I do classes, I often ask people, do you know how much money is coming in? And very few people can answer that question. And so if we don't know what we have coming in, how can we determine what is suitable to leave? How much that we can spend on things? But we've developed this sort of mindset that says it doesn't matter, we don't need to count the cost because if I want something, I can have it and it doesn't matter what the cost is. We begin to prioritize our lifestyles over choosing to honor God first. These are all examples of how mammon can influence us. When we are under the influence of mammon, we're often the most scared that we ever are about our money and finances. Because we feel the weight and the pressure of trying to provide. We feel the responsibility of making sure bills are paid and providing for our families. And we fail to see God's part that he plays in that. We start to maybe look at career progressions. You know, my husband Danny tells me this all the time, how people in his workplace are constantly moving up the ladder, and with that comes more responsibility, more stress, and usually a lot more money too. And it's the money part that drives them to it. And then they max themselves out on mortgages to that level. And then comes the part where they can no longer keep up with the stress and their bodies suffer because of it. And how many times he's come home and told me that people are getting divorced in his company because they never see each other anymore, because they're both working 24-7, because they're driven by the paycheck. These are weights that we carry when we see that money is the answer to our problems, that we are putting our trust in the wrong God. Revelation chapter 3 tells us about a church in Laodicea. And this is a church that was described as lukewarm. And it says, So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich and I've become wealthy and I need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This was not a group of non-believers who hadn't any idea of what godly principles were. This was a church of people who have relationship with God. And they had the audacity to stand there and say, look what we've done. Look how rich I am. How much I have done to acquire wealth. And I don't need anything. 
And I would add, I don't need anyone. At some point, the blessings that God had provided for this church had overtaken their affection for God. The provision became more important than the provider of that provision and that blessing. And that is why they were deemed to be lukewarm. So let's have a look at how God sees things in contrast to some of these influences I've just talked about. So my first question is, money evil? Some people tend to say yes it is, but I would say that money is neutral. And money can be used for righteous purposes and it can be used for unrighteous purposes, but it all depends on the spirit that is resting upon it. If God's spirit is resting upon money, it will be used righteously. If mammon's spirit is resting upon it, it will be used unrighteously. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 tells us that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. It's a very misquoted verse. Non-Christians know this verse, but this is how they quote it. Money is the root of all evil, and it is not. The love of money is the root of all evil. When money is loved, we are operating under the influence and spirit of mammon. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and this is the amplified version. But understand this, that in the last days will come perilous times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. Sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it? Hard times. For people will be lovers of self and utterly self-centered, lovers of money and aroused by an inordinate, greedy desire for wealth, proud and arrogant, contemptuous boasters. They will be abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. I think that is a great example of what the church of Laodicea had become because they took their eyes off the provider and fixed it on the provision. Luke chapter 12 verse 15 says, Beware, guard against every type of greed. Life is not measured by what you own. Neither is your life measured by what you don't own. Your life has nothing to do with the possessions that you have. So let's have a look back at Luke 16 that I started with and just unpack those verses for a few moments. So Luke 16, 9. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. It's not the easiest of verses to understand. And when you look at the different translations and you get back to the meaning of the original words in the text, we can note a few things. So when you fail means when you die. It's referring to an everlasting home, eternity, heaven, and that we will be received by people. But the people that we're going to be received by are the people that we make friends for, friends with, sorry, with the resources that we have in our trust. So to put it into a modern day context, modern day language, use what God has entrusted to you 
to make relationship with people, to influence people for the kingdom of God so that they can receive salvation and that the two of you get to be together and be welcomed together in eternity. Use our resources for eternal purposes. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to put this to the test. I found out through a friend of a prayer request of a family of non-believers who had an unfortunate set of circumstances that led them into a very difficult financial position. They were considering all sorts of payday loans and things of that nature to get themselves out of this situation. And within just a few short moments, I felt God very clearly and strongly speak to me and say, I want you to deal with that situation. I want you to use what I've entrusted to you, and I want you to bless that family. I knew it was God. There was no arguing about that whatsoever. That's not something that I would have just come up with. And at the same time, the other side of my head, I'm hearing voices that say, why on earth would you do that? You don't know them. Do they deserve it? What about your family? What if an an emergency happens in your family? You need something put away so that you can deal with that. That is the right Christian thing to do. Now, I recognized those voices and where that was coming from because I knew how strongly God had spoken to me about what he wanted me to do. And I acted upon that. Several weeks later, I found out that as non-Christians still, they had gone to their respective workplaces and began telling their colleagues how God had answered their prayers. Not how a strange woman from Birmingham had suddenly given them some money. God has answered our prayers. Non-believers evangelizing in the workplace without even realizing it. And that is the essence of this verse. Then verses 10 and 12 of Luke 16. Faithful in little, faithful in much. Dishonest in little, dishonest in much. God is looking to see what we do with what he's entrusted to us. Why? Because he wants to entrust us with more. He's got more for us to do not more for us to consume. He asks us, if you can't be trusted here on earth, verse 11, with what you have, who's going to entrust you with something that is eternal? And then verse 12, if you are not faithful with what belongs to another man's, a reminder from God that everything that we have right here and now is not ours. Are we being faithful with what is God's now? Because if we're not, who's going to trust us with things in eternity that will actually belong to us? All of these verses are pointing us to get our focus and attention off everything that we have here and fixed it firmly on eternity. Our possessions on earth are God's, but in eternity we will receive rewards. He tells us that. And so that is why he wants our focus there, so that we are not continually caught up in the deceptiveness and influence of mammon. Matthew chapter 6 from verse 19 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is clear, spiritually perceptive, your whole body will be full of light, benefiting from God's precepts. But if your eye is bad, spiritually blind, then your whole body will be full of darkness and devoid of God's precepts. So if the very light inside of you is darkness, how great and terrible is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, money, possessions, fame, status, or anything else that we choose to value more than God. It is so easy for us to succumb and give in to the influence of mammon. The voice of mammon is continually around us, which is why our spiritual eyes have to be open. If our spiritual eyes are not open, we're not going to recognize its work. Mammon is continually screaming at us. And the problem is, because we don't recognize it, we have become desensitized to it. And we consider it just to be part of our culture now. You know, things that we do today weren't done 20 years ago, 30 years ago. This is normal. This is just the way the world has changed. Well, it might be normal, but it's not godly. We cannot have a foot in both camps. Last week, I said, look, this is really strong what God is saying. We either return a tithe to him or we steal it. And today, it's equally as strong Jesus is saying to us, you can either serve God or you can choose to serve mammon, but you can't do both. You can't split your devotions. And so what are the things that we can do to make sure that we are removing ourselves as far as possible from the influence of mammon is to begin to bring this first portion to God, to honor him first in that. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, As for the rich in this present world, Instruct them not to be conceited and arrogant, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly and ceaselessly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I hear many times people criticize Christians for having money, for having wealth. It's wrong. That doesn't tell me that it's wrong. That tells me that I have a God who wants to richly and ceaselessly provide for me and that he wants me to enjoy his provision and his blessing. The measure of our provision is directly impacted by the faithfulness that we show in the stewardship of our resources. It is absolutely okay for us to enjoy what we have, what God has blessed us with, as long as we don't become slaves to it. And a routine question that we can always ask ourselves is this, If God asked me to stop a certain thing or to downsize my standard of living or to give something away or not buy something, how would I react? I remember once um, I went back to my car in the car park after a Sunday service and somebody had keyed it all the way down. And the anger in me began to 
rise. And just like that, God goes, whose car is it? And I was like, okay. <laughs> I scratched your car, God. Don't get yourself too attached to it. You know, it was just little reminders that God was saying, don't get this out of priority here. I'm okay with a scratched car. It's me that they've done that to, not you. Can I invite the worship team just to come back and join me, please? One of the key things that we can do is in fighting this challenge and understanding the influence of mammon is to really grasp this issue of contentment. Because each one of us has a God-shaped hole that we try to fill with lots of different things. You know, as I said earlier, mammon is telling us that money is the answer to our problems. Mammon is telling us that we need all of these things in our life to fulfill us, to give us a sense of value and a sense of worth. But God made us in such a way that that hole can only ever be filled with our relationship with him. It doesn't matter how much stuff we acquire, we will never fill that space. You've only got to look at the multi-billionaires in the world. They could do absolutely anything they want to, and yet they're still striving for more because they are never satisfied. 1 Timothy 6 again. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave. So if we have food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows." Our earthly possessions are not transferable to heaven and eternity. But they can be used to make an impact in eternity. They can be used to obtain rewards. Now that may sound initially like a bit of a give-to-get message. But God tells us, store up for yourself treasures in heaven It's what he wants us to do. He wants our focus to be on that. And this has nothing to do with our salvation. Because we know that salvation cannot be earned by anything that we do. Other than to submit ourselves to the love of God. And say, God, I want you to be Lord of my life. But what happens in eternity can be affected and will be affected by what we do here with our resources. Philippians 4, Paul writes, and again, this is the amplified version. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that now at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned about me before, but you didn't have the opportunity to show it. Not that I speak from any personal need, for I have learned to be content and self-sufficient through Christ, satisfied to the point where I am not disturbed or uneasy, regardless of of my circumstances. I know how to get along and live humbly in difficult times, and I also know how to enjoy abundance and live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing life 
whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I'm, I have an abundance or I am in need. I can do all things which he has called me to do through him who strengthens and empowers me to fulfill his purpose, not mine. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency, not my own sufficiency, Christ's sufficiency. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. Paul understood that his contentment was never connected to what he had or what he didn't have. And we need to grasp that. And interestingly, he says, I have learned to be content. It's not something that we just say, hey, today we're going to pray, we're going to learn, we're going to be content, and then tomorrow everything's fine. We have to continually practice contentment. Why? Because the voices around us are telling us not to be. We have to keep practicing that. So some key things then, just before we come back to a time of worship. Understanding that the contentment is not connected to our possessions, but to our relationship with God. That he's asking us for our focus to come off what we have here that is very, very temporary in comparison to the length of eternity and to shift our focus onto that. I know for myself, for years and years and years, I faithfully, faithfully tithed. And I thought that was the end. And God took me on a journey of beginning to explain to me, yeah, you've submitted that part of your life to me. Now comes the chance for us to practice good, faithful stewardship. What will you do for me in addition to that? Whose lives will you impact for me? What changes will you make in eternity by using the resources that are entrusted to you? We can be thankful to God. We need to be thankful for God. You know, we got up this morning and we've got breath in our bodies. We've got clothes on our back, food on our table, a roof over our heads. And we need, it may seem a small thing, but we need to practice thankfulness to God. Because every time we do, we say, God, I'm acknowledging that you have blessed me with this and I'm slapping mammon around the face. And we need to do that more. Because we listen to those voices and it pulls us down and it pulls us down. And when we choose to say, I'm not listening to that, and God, yes, I'm admitting that a little bit more would be nice right now, but I'm choosing to serve you. I'm choosing to find my contentment and fulfillment in you. I'm proving myself to be faithful with what he has given me, knowing that he wants to put more into my hands to flow through to other people rather than it be put into my hands to be consumed. God's principles are powerful and they protect us from this spirit of mammon, its influence, the greed and the selfishness that it fosters within us, which is why he wants us to put him first, which is why he wants us to be faithful stewards. Let's stand. And we're going to worship him. We're going to declare how good he is. We're going to declare how powerful he is in every circumstance in our life. We're going to declare that there are strongholds that need to come down. And maybe, maybe you need to ask God to just open your heart and your eyes this morning. God, what is it that I haven't seen? 
what is it that has been a distraction to me so that I can begin to put this right, that I can begin to steward my resources in a godly, faithful way. Let's worship him together.